Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hi, everyone. This is Allison Kay. I am so delighted that you have chosen to give me the gift of your time and join us for this episode. It's going to be a powerful episode. I love to find guests who have transversed all different aspects of business, and this one has. He has been featured in Forbes and Inc. and Entrepreneur and Fortune and pretty much anywhere they write about business. Something he has done has touched an aspect of it. He is an author and just a wonderful person to add to your network. So I would love to introduce you to Mitch Russo. Mitch, tell everybody about the great things that you give to the world today. Hi, Allison, and thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to share. I really love doing that. And um, so to answer your question, my name is Mitch Russo. I have, uh, most people probably know me as having worked directly with Tony Robbins for five years, building a company from, from zero to almost 30 million in revenue. Uh, our partner in that business, Chet Holmes, passed away. And when he died, I left the business in 2013. And that's when I started writing. I wrote my first two books, The Invisible Organization, which uh, is really a kind of a blueprint for how to build a virtual company. Uh, and my second book came a few years later called Power Tribes, How Certification Can Explode Your Business. So I have become somewhat known as an expert on culture and certification and creating culture and tribes, which is, again, uh, also the topic of my second podcast called The Tribe Builders. Uh, recently, I felt compelled to create a SaaS platform, a software system for coaches because I was having so much difficulty on my own finding great software to run my coaching business. Mm -hmm. So that in a nutshell is uh, just about everything going on. Oh, and of course I love, as you know, I love to travel and photograph. I do. And we're going to get to that later. So if you like um, uh, photography, you've got to stay tuned for that piece, but Mitch, Let's roll it back because what I love about what you do and, and the, just the wisdom you have, and hopefully you'll share some with our listeners today, mm -hmm. is you are an entrepreneur who built business even before you worked with Tony Robbins. So yes. tell us a little bit about those early days and the business building that you did. Well, I mean, you know, business is by itself a sort of a game. Uh, that I love to play. And the reason that it's, I call it a game is because there are challenges along the way. Um, the thing about any game is that if you, if you lose the game, you could play another one. And when um, you get better and better at playing the game, the game itself doesn't actually change. It's the players that change. And so my first business, if you will, was having a rock band in high school, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, like I said, the players are the ones that change. So that business basically started with charging $50 a performance 
um, you know, practicing every Saturday morning in our garage together. And then later uh, we became the highest paid local high school rock band in the area. And we were getting $500 a performance. And this is back in 1972. So it's, it was quite, I thought it was quite an achievement back then for some, a couple of kids, 17 years old, not even old enough to drive, uh, earning that kind of money back when our allowances were like $1.50 or something. So, uh, but then later that those lessons prepared me to go into business with a dear friend and start a company to publish software. And, uh, and then again, the, the game is the same, same rules. You need PR, you need sales, you need promotion, you need relationships, you need affiliates, you need all those things, but the players change. So now the players were professionals, people who were capable of creating incredible technology. And then the additional part of the teams that were amazing in, at building and then uh, promoting a lot of that work. So you built a company called Time Slips, and then right. you had the experience of selling it. And rather than starting another business, you went into corporate for a while and you worked in a very large scale company. And I do know um, that you were once Inc. Magazines, uh, you were nominated to be an entrepreneur of, of the year. So tell us, you, you kind of were an entrepreneur, then you, you went and were an entrepreneur, which is just as important. I always tell people an entrepreneur, finding entrepreneurs for your company is just as important. Um, and then you, you changed again. Tell us about some of those, what you think are those most valuable lessons you learned in that first big startup that you did. Well, it, the, probably the most valuable lessons from building time slips uh, was the lesson of creating culture and tribes. Uh, a lot of people build companies of which I did, but what we discovered, and I, and I truly mean discovered because it wasn't something I learned or was taught. Uh, I discovered that if you bring a body of people together and you create a common set of values, then you have a chance of that tribe becoming something more than just a group of people. Uh, in our case, that tribe became our family. And we had 350 certified time slips consultants. And I consider every one of them a friend, but at the same time, it was very clear who was the boss and what the rules were. And we were also very clear about what the, what the as, as I said earlier, the rules or rules of engagement were to be a member of this tribe. And if you violated those rules, the tribe was self-correcting. The tribe would pull you back and straighten you out. Uh, it didn't require me to do anything at all because we had done a great job of creating that culture. And it was a lot of what I had learned during those years that later translated into helping me write my second book, Power Tribes, and now working with corporations, large and small, to create culture and tribes inside of organizations. So I have to ask, you worked with um, Chet Holmes and Tony Robbins. So you're helping build Business Breakthroughs International and you are working with um, very dynamic and very, you know, how what kind of environment is it working with people that are pushing motivation all the time, you know, peak performance, motivation. Um, where, where were you in that trio? Were you the, I'm the steady rock like 
What was your well, role? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you asked that question because for all of my life up until that point, I was the front man. So when it came to Time Slips Corporation, I was the CEO. I did all the presentations. I traveled all over the country and, and I, you know, I literally went to hundreds of, of what we used to call PC user groups. And, mm -hmm. I'd, and I'd stand up and on a stage, there might be 12 people in the room or there might be 1200 people in the room. And I would tell my story and do a software demo. And then uh, usually at the end of that, of that event, if you will, at the end of the time I spoke, people would go buy the software. Well, you know, in this case, I was the man behind the curtain when it came to working with Tony and Chet. Tony and Chet were the front men. They had all of the fame, if you will. Um, and of course, they deserved it for what they accomplished. And they were better at it than I was. And, um, you know, I had my chance and I did from time to time show myself on, on that stage. But for the most part, the business was better because of them being at the front of the at the uh, at the front of the stage. And that's really what, you know, it took a, a period of adjustment for me, uh, but but I enjoyed it. I loved being the person who kept all the plates spinning and made sure that we had lots of capacity to keep going. Well, Mitch, this is an important piece that we talk about at Disruptive CEO Nation when I, I talk with people who are co-founders. Sometimes when I get ready to interview people, I say, okay, you're a co-founder. Do we talk about your other co-founder? And some people will be like, no, we only talk through attorneys. Or some will be like, oh, yes, we we I could not do it because we complement each other so well. I, I know my mm. role. And it sounds like that was a really good um, balance what you got into the, the groove there. It was for me, I, you know, it, it's really, um, I, I think it, it helped me grow in so many ways. Uh, and also don't forget, I mean, having Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes as your coaches, I mean, th there's nothing better. I mean, you can't imagine um, for five years, I was mentored by Tony and Chet. I mean, Chet and I were dear and very close friends for many, many years before we even worked together. So I knew Chet very, very well. He knew me very, very well. And, uh, and beyond our business relationship, we had a very, very deep personal relationship. Uh, but with, when it came to business, we were all business. I mean, there were times when, uh, when I learned so much from both of those guys. Uh, and, and of course, those lessons are still with me today. And now I share them with my own clients. Well, and let's, let's jump to some of those things because you have a podcast, um, your first thousand clients, right? Tell me what the theory, you know, I know that there's a, a, you've got some theories around why you chose that as your, your podcast. Give us some insight into that. Um, so this is not what you expect. I'm going to tell you something that you, you didn't expect me to say, but I want to be transparent and I want you to understand why I created this show. Now, we know this, there's a phrase called pod fade. Pod fade is when somebody starts a podcast, runs it for a little while, gets bored, uh, notices the bills and says, why am I doing this? And then stops. Well, most of the reason why people stop podcasting is because their podcast didn't have a purpose that supports their business. So my first show, which never made it off the ground, was called Infinite Wisdom. Uh, 
And the reason I named it that was because of all the top level people that I had known and all the opportunity I would have had to interview them on my show. But I never quite got it off the ground because it really didn't have a purpose other than for some ego stroking reason to think that I knew a lot of smart people, <laughs> but, but that wasn't satisfying enough. And like I said before, it didn't support my business. My business is helping companies with a thousand or more clients create certification that makes them money every single day. Well, how do I find my ideal clients? Maybe the best way to do so would be to attract them to the guest seat on my podcast. So what I did is I set up a system by which I interview, I invite people on LinkedIn to come and share their wisdom on my show, knowing in advance that they are likely, not always, but likely candidates to hear about my certification services. So when I started doing this, I, I would bring somebody on board. And after experimenting with you know, feeling a little uncomfortable about pitching, et cetera, I said, you know what? I'm going to make this as simple as possible. At the end of the interview, after we, like you and I did before the show, we chatted for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So I would do the same. And then after the interview, I would say, do you have a few minutes for me to tell you a little bit more about what I do? Well, hardly anyone said no. A few people said, well, I'd love to know more about what you do. A few more said, well, maybe not this minute. Can we reschedule that part? And I said, sure. But at that point, I would simply say, well, look, if you are who I think you are, then this might be of interest. And then I share with them how I have helped all these other companies build trust-based, tribe-based, community-based certification programs with multiple recurring revenue streams and how they can too. And that usually starts a whole new conversation. Now, in, in some cases, people were not ready to build certification. So I offered them the opportunity to work with me directly to build their business to the point where it would be. So my podcast has generated many of my clients. And more importantly, my podcast has allowed me to meet some amazing, incredible people that I've had the chance to help. Like I said, I bet you didn't expect that answer. Actually, I, I do know that strategy and, and I respect that strategy. I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of, and we've chatted about this before we got on, on this episode, business leaders today need to be open to different ideas of, of how you do relationship building. I'm not even going to call it sales channels. It's just it's this relationship building. And right. um, I wrote my first book was Connect to Influence. And it was about how to build relationships with an executive viewpoint. This is just not networking for sales. This is like, how do I connect with people that maybe I don't need today, but you know, two years down the line, three years down the line, I'm going to be darn glad I had them in my network. And I think mm -hmm. business builders today and company founders who are starting new businesses, a podcast is a wonderful way to solidify your brand, talk to people that you want to talk to, honor those people by mm. highlighting their stories. And then, like you said, you have this conversation, whether you take it in the moment, it is there for the future. So I love, I love that piece of, of your story. I want to ask you, because you also coach a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you see as common challenges or stumbling blocks that those company or founders or entrepreneurs seem to need some of your expert advice on? Well, part of what <clears throat> part of what happens uh, after spending several decades or many decades in my case of working with companies is you get to see lots of different business models. And you see lots of different sales systems and ways to create selling environments. And so when I work with the clients, they probably are experts. Well, they're not probably, they absolutely are experts at their own business in their own company. But in many cases, they've never been exposed to other ways of seeing or thinking about what it is that they do. So one of the first things we do when we start uh, working together is I create a visual representation of their entire company using a mind map. And most of the time, people are blown away by what we uncover in that first two-hour session. And it's usually from there that we uncover tons of new opportunities and new possibilities, which we then spend the rest of our time building through and creating. Well, give some specific examples that you think are, are common um, challenges. I think the visual map sounds like a great way to uncover blind spots, but tell us what some of those blind spots are. Well, in many cases, people are, and by the way, I deal with all forms of issues re- related to compensation, related to staffing, related to uh, working with investors and, and the board. Uh, but I also d- dive deep on business models. And as I said before, in sales systems and sales methodologies. Well, let's flip back to the concept of the CEO and, and the prime builder and, and internal <clears throat> culture, because you have so much experience um, coaching and training and, and leading um, these vision leaders for these companies. What do you think are the most three critical traits of a innovative and disruptive CEO in today's business environment? Well, um, creative destruction would be one. Uh, If a CEO isn't willing to destroy his own company to create something better or or to improve upon products that are selling well, then ultimately somebody else will come along and do it for them. And there's so many examples of that. If you look even at something as simple as Sony and the Walkman and how Sony had the entire portable audio market, but never would let go of the Walkman in order to sell MP3 players. So Apple stepped in Mm -hmm. and did it with the iPad. And we can go on and on about these examples about all the companies that were made obsolete by newer, younger, smarter people who saw how to destroy their products. So CEOs who can't creatively destroy their own products are doomed to fail. The second is something very simple, and that is the ability to communicate. I I feel as if many CEOs don't truly understand the value of active communication. And communication, by the way, is not speaking. Communication is a combination of speaking and listening. And for those CEOs who are real good at speaking, but not so good at listening, end up with problems down the road, 
such as the types of problems that I solve when I go inside and fix coaching organizations, lack of culture, because it's the CEO's vision and values that have never truly been communicated and have never really been integrated into the operating structure of the business itself. I would say if I could pick a third thing, it's simply not being open to seeing possibilities that they currently aren'tly seeing. So you know once again, uh, what is a sales organization? A sales organization um, is you might say the, the front line of the company that brings in revenue. Well, do you know how many ways there are to create a sales organization? It's almost infinite. And yet most people know two or three. So if I can show somebody seven different ways to create with what they already have, a whole new way of selling and a whole new way of upselling, then there would be an enormous increase in, in both new and future revenues. So one of the key engineering pieces that I love to do is I love to sit down with a CEO and say, what do you sell? And they tell me, and I said, well, then what do you sell them after that? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, after you sell that, what do you sell next? He goes, oh, I don't know, maybe some coaching or something like that. So what I immediately discover is that most people have one or two things that they sell, but there's a dead end, or I would call it a stub in our plan. So what I, what I mean by that is that when I think about it, I, I have a rule, it's Mitch, one of Mitch's rules, which is never sell anything unless you know what you're going to sell next. That's a great and, rule. And, and so if you're going to sell a product, great. What are you going to sell next? Well, next, Mitch, we're going to sell group coaching. Great. What are you going to sell next? Well, next, we're going to sell a mastermind. Great. Well, what are you going to sell next? Well, next, we're going to sell one-on-one -on -one coaching. Great. Well, what are you going to sell next? And we keep this going and we can create a product pipeline in about an hour that could last for years if, in fact, we are on target with the CEO's understanding of their own market. So as you can see, this can go on forever. I mean, there's so much possibility when it comes to playing the game, the business, the game of business, where the players change, but the game doesn't. The whole, whole idea is you bring me in, I'm a new player, and I get to play with you. And together we create new stuff. Mitch, I promised our listeners that we would also talk about travel. One thing you and I have in common is... Um, I love travel and I'm very well traveled. And I love when I meet people who are, because I feel like when you travel the world and you get outside of the, the borders of your own country, whatever your home country is, you immediately start to shift your mind to see other ways of getting things done and other ways that business can be done. And, and like you, I've started international travel years and years and years ago. We won't say how many years ago, <laughs> but I used to travel and I used to see things and I'm like, why don't we do that? Or why don't we have that? Or, you know, and, but you've also turned all that travel into a photography hobby. So I really want to know some of your favorite places that you have visited in the world. Wow. That's so hard. You know, I used to say that my favorite place in the world is the last place I visited um, because I, I had such a, I always have such a good time. The last place I visited outside the country was Myanmar, mm. uh, Burma, I think as people have known it. So Myanmar was an amazing place and the timing turned out to be pretty good. I was there in November of 2019 and then COVID hit 
and shut everything down. But shortly thereafter, the uh, war inside of Myanmar, the warring parties where the government was taken over by the military and all that. So I felt like I was blessed enough to have been there and seen all of this really before we, we lost the chance to do so. Uh, so for me, that was that was one of my most treasured trips. But I've been to Bhutan. Bhutan is an amazing, beautiful place. But one of my favorite places, and, and I could tell you the when you say favorite places, it's it's because I keep going over and over and over again. My favorite place is Iceland. And I love Iceland because every time I come back with incredible photography, incredible experiences. Uh, and, you know, someone once said to me, how many times have you been to Iceland? I said, seven. So, well, when will you stop going? When have you had enough of Iceland? And I would say something stupid like, well, I guess when I come home with crappy pictures or I, I can't find anything new to photograph, I'll stop going. So far, that's never happened. I don't even see it possible. It's such a beautiful country. You got to go during the right time. And of course, what I consider beautiful may not be what other people consider beautiful, but you could see what I consider beautiful by going to my photography site. And, and there's, there's Iceland in the way I see how Iceland should look. Yeah, and your photography site really is a visual delight. I, I encourage people uh, to take a look. It, it's with so much stress in the world, and we talk about for our business builders, what do they like to do to relax? Because you, you, if you're a company founder or an extreme entrepreneur, you are likely an A-type personality and you need that balance. So I absolutely love that. Um, Mitch, if people want to follow up with you, learn more, give them some sites that they can go look at. Sure. Well, I, we didn't talk at all about coaching. If there are any coaches in the audience, um, I, I feel you. I, I know what it's like to be a coach and I built software to help you. You can go see it at clientfol.io, clientfolio. And, and you could see exactly what it was I set out to do and, and how I accomplished what my mission was. And I think you're going to love it. But if you want to learn more about me in general, you can go to mitchrusso.com, M-I-T-C-H-R-U-S-S-O, uh, and of course, if you'd like to see some of my photography, you can go to MitchRussoTravels.com. Well, Mitch, I, as I started out at the beginning, I, I think you're somebody to know. You have a world of wisdom behind you. So thank you so much um, for being a guest today. To our listeners, is there's an innovative, a disruptive CEO that you think we need to be speaking to, send them our way at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again, Mitch. My pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>